Hello everyone and welcome to episode number 35 of Off The Block Swimming Podcast. Thank you all for downloading our show today, wherever you are listening. I'm your host, Robbie Cox. Massive show for you all this week as we head across the world to Scotland and talk to Great Britain and Scotland legend, Hannah Miley. Spoke to the three-time Olympian a few weeks ago on Zoom and discussed her hugely successful career so far, her drive for one more Olympic Games next year in Tokyo, the dynamic of her coach also being her dad, and some of her memorable moments in the pool so far, as well as her very clever dog, all that, and a whole lot more. So make yourself a hot chocolate, throw a blanket over yourself and get comfy, because Ep 35 with the incredible Hannah Miley starts now. Away they go. No problems with the start. There is two 100s in the second in it. Gary Hall Jr., the extrovert, and Ian Thorpe battling it out down the pool. Thorpe is starting to go away from him. Oh, he's blowing him away now. Thorpe's gone more than a metre on Van der Hoek and Penn. But the of all eyes is the great Phantom Butterfly, Susie O'Neill. Oh, he's coming back. Oh, he's surely can't do it to him again. Chavis in the white hats, Vets in the black hats, and Vets has got it. I cannot believe he's done that. Thorpe to the front, Thorpe to the hall, Thorpe goes in. Australia win. Joining me today on the show all the way from the other side of the world in Scotland is a three-time Olympian and a woman who has represented Scotland and Great Britain at World Champs, Com Games, European Championships, racking up a very impressive number of medals along the way. She is one of the most consistent and hardworking performers of the last decade, especially in the IM. It is a very big treat for me to welcome to Off the Block Swing podcast, Hannah Miley. Hannah, how are you going? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm very, very good, mate. Very, very good. Now, I don't always get um, to, to see the face looking at me as I'm doing the, the intro for them. Um, you know, how, how does that feel for you hearing, you know, accomplishments and getting your tires pumped up? How do you take that sort of, um, I, I guess, um, those accolades? Um, I get a little bit embarrassed, I guess. I'm, I'm not one for kind of tooting my own horn. Um, <laughs> but sometimes it's quite nice, I guess, to hear back some of the, the accolades that you've done because as athletes we, we tend to focus on the now and focus on what we've got coming up sometimes we don't tend to look back at actually what we've achieved so we not forget but uh, sometimes we kind of don't really register it as much so it, it, it's kind of cool hearing it <laughs> <laughs> now mate I'm coming to you today as you can see from the studios and normally people don't know where I'm I always say the studios but they have no idea but you can see it's my bar area where have we awesome. caught you today in uh, the kitchen and I would show you around, but I'm not going to up, so we don't need to do that. <laughs> no, no, no. It is all good, mate. It is all good. Now, obviously, um, you know, COVID-19 has hit, and it's sort of affected all sorts of, you know, the different countries, you know, differently. How has it affected you guys, and, and how have you managed the past, say, three to four months? Um, it's been quite challenging. So we had a, a pretty much a complete shutdown. So everything from, I think it was the, so the 23rd of March, uh, was pretty much just shut down. Uh, so no traveling, no, uh, no facilities were open at all. Um, and yeah, it's been quite challenging in a sense of just trying to kind of find ways to keep active and stay fit. Other sports are lucky in a sense that if they're not water-based, doing land work and obviously it's not ideal you don't have your proper training equipment facilities but mm. the essence 
of being you know on land or being able to run or cycle is ideal as a swimmer missing the water is huge and not having the sensation of being in water or just getting the feel of the water can yeah you, you lose a sense and feel for it very very quickly so it was really difficult trying to find way of training um so we kind of got into a little bit of a routine that's one of the things i kind of realized there's three things i learned in lockdown the first one was the power of routine um <laughs> very very easy to just sleep the day away or stay up really late and then get up at midday mm-hmm. um i'm lucky enough that i have a young puppy so routine was important because she's yeah. getting up at half six seven o'clock regardless <laughs> to go out for the toilet so late nights are definitely not an issue because we wanted sleep um and then just kind of planning the day making sure that i had a purpose for each day so i wasn't going right i need to go like an hour cardio and then do some mobility work i'll just Mm. do that later i kind of realized i had to set timeline to actually make sure that i did it because otherwise the whole day would just go um so i think we're going to a good routine just now we've got a couple of bits being quite inventive with some of the uh weights that don't have access to you know a gym so filling up a backpack i even used my puppy at one point in the backpack because she's about 10 12 kilos um (laughs) thinking outside the box and i guess i've kind of seen it as an opportunity so whilst it's been really tough uh family wise as well we've had uh, a couple of issues with a family member falling ill, not with COVID, but uh, with something uh, different. Yeah. Um, and just feeling a little bit helpless, not being able to kind of help out was really, really hard. Mm. Um, but luckily it's all better now. Rules are starting to relax a little bit now for us. So in Scotland, we, uh, we can go out and play golf. We can do open water swimming. You can play tennis. So I'm now trying to kind of get back into the water, open water style, but we have been advised by Scottish swimming to, avoid open water swimming just from a health and safety point of view you've got the risk of blue or green algae which can make you ill there's cold cold water shock as well because it's not really tropical in no i was gonna ask how do you how do you get into water at those temperatures god damn (laughs) lots of layers um yeah so i've got a wetsuit i've got neoprene gloves a balaclava and neoprene socks as well and then just wear as many swimsuits i can underneath uh, and then double up with two hats. Um, so I kind of, if the water temperature is maybe between 18 to maybe 14, 13 degrees, it's not too bad. Ideally 14 to 18 is kind of okay. Mm-hmm. Anything lower than 14, it then starts getting quite bad. I tried to swim on Monday and the water temperature was below 12, about 12 degrees. I had like a massive ice cream headache. My sinuses were just frozen. <laughs> Couldn't feel my hands at all. So I thought I only lasted about 10, 15 minutes. Um, yeah, so it's been an interesting experience, that sort of sense. And yeah, it's hard when you see other nations getting back in or some nations haven't even stopped. There's some nations that I have actually been able to train right the way through. So mm. It's been weird. It's been very, very weird, but I try to see it as an opportunity. Um, so working on pre-pull or rehab work just for sh- shoulder mobility, uh, knee and ankle joint mobility work. Um, and I guess kind of use it as a bit more of a mental break and just try and work out little areas that I can maybe work on focusing mm. on strengths and weaknesses and a bit of self-reflection too. So yeah, it's, it's well, definitely been strange. But Yeah, I can imagine, <laughs> especially at 12 degrees. You say like 10, 15 minutes, it's like a lot longer than any of the listeners would have been lasting, that's for sure. So <laughs> you've done a good job. Now, obviously the news of Tokyo being pushed back to, to 2021 has affected everybody differently. And, and I talked to a lot of athletes on the podcast here that some were really sort of excited because they'd had a lot of injuries or they weren't at their best coming into trials this year. So, you know, the opportunity to go another year was a really good thing for them. A lot of people, 
that I talked to were maybe contemplating retirement. So the idea of having to go back another year was like, oh, okay, here we go. What about for yourself? You know, how has it affected you? And what was your initial reaction when you sort of understood, okay, well, I'm going to have to go another year here? Um, it was kind of split. It was one part was, I guess, kind of relief because I, I genuinely did think it was a good call because going into a games where you had two months of no training, but some other nations haven't stopped and they've been able to go through, it definitely didn't make it a level playing field. And the stress and the pressure of trying to find ways to keep training, I think it would have just been too much mentally for a lot of athletes. So I think it was the right call to make it another year. Um, and also I was having a couple of issues with my shoulder. My left shoulder was, uh, subluxing. So basically partially dislocating every now and then, which is not ideal. Not ideal. Uh, so <laughs> I kind of feel there was a bit of relief as well. Cause I felt, well, I've got more time now to get this settled out and uh, get myself sorted. But then the other side as well, I guess, selfishly, I wanted this year to be my last year. So I felt I had plans in place mentally. I'd kind of been like, right, it's all or nothing. You know, everything's going to be on the table. I'm just going to give, I've got this last shot and just go for it. So trying to kind of be like, oh, I've got to do it for another year. You kind of feel like, ah, I've got to make all these changes again. Can I do it? Can I not? So <laughs> I was living in a little bit of a fog because I didn't know what to do. So I wasn't super upset that it was delayed but I wasn't super excited either it was just kind of living in this kind of gray zone yeah. and as each of the weeks have gone by I've just been trying to be kind to myself and allow myself time to basically figure out what it is that I want to do and how I'm going to do it and doing little bits of workout and kind of figuring a little bit more on my body and trying to look after myself I've kind of found a nice little routine and I feel quite happy with it and I also have to realize it's across, it's the same for everybody. Everybody, yeah. you know, we've all got to focus in on the Olympics for next year. That's not going to change. So there's no point kind of stressing or worrying about it. And mm. I feel, you know, to try and go for a fourth games would be kind of cool. So let's just see how it goes. So I'm just taking each day, each month as it comes and um, just trying to do the best that I possibly can physically and hopefully mentally as well. I can feel a lot more set with it. Now, the break has been really good for a lot of people in terms of, you know, getting to do stuff they normally wouldn't do or they normally put off like reading books or, or doing courses or all these sorts of things. I remember mm -hmm. I started reading a book and I put it down straight away. So that didn't actually end up eventuating. <laughs> what about for yourself? Did, you know, did you get stuck into any puzzles? I saw on Instagram so many people doing puzzles. Did you read any yeah. books? Have you taken any courses? Like how has the break been for you? And, and did you get into anything that before you probably didn't allow yourself time to do? Yeah, so I, I've been kind of trying to study to become a Pilates teacher as well. Um, so I finally had time now to get the coursework done mm. and using Zoom, I guess, to kind of get my hours up. So I've been trying to help out swimming clubs by offering um, some Pilates classes um, just for my own teaching, but also just because I do feel I think it really does help swimmers. Yeah. Um, I also took a, a TRX suspension training course and mm. now I'm qualified as a TRX instructor. Oh, nice try and combine the two um, because I really like both those types of exercises. So I'm really interested in the sort of whole body movement and how the body moves and the exercises to complement and support and manage it, not just for swimmers, but for all athletes or all individuals. So I've really enjoyed kind of researching a little bit more on that. Um, and basically doing puppy training, um, <laughs> teaching my pup new tricks. Uh, yeah. That's actually been quite fun. Um, getting her to do lots of different little bits. Some bits have been really easy that she's picked up right away. She's so keen and eager to learn, mm. um, especially when you've got food involved. <laughs> yeah. and, um, and then there's other ones where 
it takes a little bit more time. So the recent trick that I taught her uh, basically to pack my swimming bag <laughs> or just to pack a bag, we call it tidy. So uh, I leave out items and then I basically tell her to go and tidy and then she'll pick them up and put them into a box. So I was able to kind of incorporate that where she picks up like my goggles or my cap and she puts them into my swimming bag and she gets very, very excited. But that's <laughs> about maybe four or five days to teach her to do. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and just, just doing little bits like that, just kind of working the bond with her and, uh, as I say, it mentally tires her out as well. She's a, a working cocker spaniel, so mm. as mad as a box of frogs, lots of energy. But trying to tire her out mentally is more is just as important as trying to tire her physically, because like any athlete, you build endurance, <laughs> <laughs> and, and she'll just keep going. So trying to tire her out with thinking about things and puzzles has mm. been really good. So yeah, I've really enjoyed working with her and just trying to find ways to make it exciting for her. So. Uh, not just training, doing puzzles for trying to get her to work for her food, like using towels, hiding things. So she has to try and think and figure it out. Um, so I'm probably going to end up maybe shooting myself in the foot slightly and making a, an incredibly brainy dog who's going to outsmart <laughs> me in a lot of ways. <laughs> it's fun just now. <laughs> I tell you what, packing a bag, my dog struggle with sit and stay, <laughs> let alone packing a bag. So you, you've got a very smart dog there. <laughs> Uh, yeah, hey, she's, she's good. <laughs> yeah. For, for so many swimmers, you know, their coach has a, a very uh, important role to play in, in their career and their lives and, and none more so than, than yourself. Your coach, you know, is actually your dad, Patrick. Talk to me about that dynamic and firstly, sort of how it came together and, and how you first started working together in the pool. Um, well, to be honest, I've not really known it any other way. He's kind of been my coach right from day one. So when I was quite young, like pretty much, you know, almost fetus level, um, <laughs> I was in water all the time. He was, you know, he was so fascinated with uh, babies and water and how natural the environment was for, you know, newborn babies. It would freak my mom out. She hated it. She hated the fact that you would quite happily dunk me in and I would happily swim along and sometimes not come up for air. So he'd lift me up. Um, but yeah, he kind of would always take me to the water and he was very keen to make sure that um, all of his kids learn how to swim just from a safety point of view. So he taught me, I think it was a backstroke. He said it took me 20 minutes. It took him 20 minutes to teach me backstroke when I was three. Um, and it just kind of progressed from there. But as a youngster, I was never really fully into swimming. Like I love being in the water. Um, I couldn't wait till I turned eight because our local swimming club allowed anybody over the age of eight to go to a public session or a fun session on their own without an adult. And for me, I just couldn't wait for that. I don't want to always have to go with my dad. I just wanted yeah. to go to the pool on my own. So I couldn't wait until I turned eight to go with my friends. So I did love being in the water, but I guess the concept and the understanding of wanting to race was just kind of not there yet. Um, so I had other activities and he just always used to take me lane swimming doing a couple of bits of drills and my competitive side started coming through because he would always get us to do a set number of lengths. We always did the same. And then I realized that I didn't want to do the same. I wanted to do more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, I want to do two more than you. I have to finish. So I started being like, I wanted to outdo my dad a little bit. Um, and he would get, try and get me to stop to do some technique work. And I'd be coming in pretending to stop, stop and then I'd be like, oh, psych, and do a tumble turn. Because yeah. <laughs> I had to finish doing, knowing that I'd done more than my dad. Um, but he, he developed in the 90s a, de a device called an Aquapacer, which is uh, like a waterproof metronome. Now, another company now has taken that idea and copied it, and they've now got a, a tempo trainer, um, which is basically a copy of his original design. But he worked with a lot of Olympic athletes coming into the Sydney Olympic Games, 
and um and then he did a little bit of work with Paul Palmer. He worked with uh, an American girl, Brooke Bennett, over in Stanford as well. And then a couple of the British guys. And I think it was something like one in three Olympic medalists had used his device. Mm. So he got to travel and took on so much information and worked with so many incredible athletes. So when he came back and started coaching a little bit more, I had a lot of respect for him for that. And I think as well, uh, he started having a little bit of respect for me in the pool because his full-time job wasn't a swim coach. He was only a volunteer. He was actually a helicopter pilot. Oh, nice. That's his full-time profession. So when he was flying in the mornings, um, he would write the session out. I would come down uh, to have my breakfast and he would hand it to me. He would go off to work. I would take that to the pool and then give it to the volunteer coach at the time mm. who would then run the session. And then sometimes in the afternoons, he'd be texting me saying, I'm stuck offshore. I'm in Norway. I can't get <laughs> back to you. Here's the training session for this afternoon. And then I would go in, normally on my own in the afternoon and do the training session, try and record times as best I could. Uh, we have a, an analog clock, so I had to kind of self-time or I would ask a lifeguard or sometimes my mom would come and help as well. And he had to trust that I would do the session. Mm. And I think from there, our relationship kind of grew because I trusted that he would take on the information I gave him, like how I felt, how the times were and how I managed it. And then trust that he would script another session based on the information I gave him. Mm. Yeah. And the same, he had to trust me to actually go and do these training sessions on my own. Yeah. And obviously it would be very easy to be like, yeah, I've done that training session and not done it. But for me, deep down, I get, I'm quite a literal person. So if I'm told to do something, I will do it, <laughs> which I guess makes it a little bit easier to coach. Yeah. Uh, also, I kind of would feel very, very guilty if I knew that I was lying to my dad because I just couldn't do that. So yeah, so our, our relationship kind of grew. And then as I started getting better at swimming, I kind of enjoyed traveling with them I enjoyed going on competitions together and realizing that I was kind of showcasing the hard work and effort that he was putting into me mm. and yeah it was just kind of a nice little journey and I'd never really wanted to go anywhere else I had thought about going over to like the states and you know even sat my sat exams but I kind of felt what we had was working still so why try and fix something that's not broke mm. and I knew that any other coach wouldn't know or understand me as an individual as much as my dad. So I thought, you know what, let's see how far we can take it. So yeah, I'm still with him now and our relationship grows. It's you know, obviously not straightforward. It's any coach athlete, father daughter relationship. It has its ups and downs, but I've learned an awful lot from that. Mm. Um, and sometimes the fights that we do have are actually really important because it's important for both of us to be heard and to say our opinions, but be able to, make up and move on from them as well. So, um, yeah, it's interesting you, you bring that up. I was going to mention that, you know, how have you seen mm -hmm. that dynamic change? Because obviously yeah. you've gone from being a young girl to a teenager, to a young woman, to, you know, to developing yourself. So has that dynamic changed along the way? Have you had to adjust and, and has he had to adjust obviously to, to now how, you know, um, you know, obviously intelligent you are and you've been around and you obviously know a lot about swimming as well. Yeah. So I think as a youngster, I did rely fully a lot on him to provide the training sets and to guide me and basically tell me what to do. Um, they'd always try and go the extra mile and do extra bits, but I did rely heavily on him to basically write the main structure for the, the week or the sets that we had. But as I got older, he then started giving me a little bit more free reign. And I think it was after 2012, I kind of thought, right, I really want to try and do something a little bit different. I'm now going to maybe take a little bit more responsibility 
empathy and actually here's a week training plan I think would work. So I presented to him with swimming and land work, basically what my, I think would be an ideal training week. And then from there, he's now taking a little bit more of a step back and giving me a lot more ownership. He's always instilled from a young age, we need to be independent and we own our sport. You know, you have to want to be here in order to be coached. Um, so I guess I kind of feel now that uh, I, I can kind of freely say, actually, I don't think that set would be ideal. What about this set? So I can have these conversations with them and not worry. You know, I'm not undermining him uh, mm. because I do have knowledge as well. Still nowhere near as much knowledge yeah, as what yeah. he's got. But <laughs> we were able to have these conversations to try and get the most uh, out of my training, really. So, yes, yeah, so I definitely have a lot more input into what I do in the pool and on land now than I've ever had, which is which is quite nice. Now, the nickname Smiley, obviously, it's your Instagram name as well, as I, you know, I've been talking yeah. to you on there. So where did that come from? And, and is there anybody specifically that gave it to you? Um, you know, I'm not actually 100% sure where it came from. It was just something that always kind of stuck. Um, and I kind of preferred the Smiley Miley side than the Hannah Montana Miley Cyrus yeah. nickname that always seemed to kind of kick about. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I just always enjoyed trying to be positive and quite be happy. And I do. I enjoy smiling. And I mm. find that sometimes, you know, smile, it confuses people sometimes <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> in certain situations. So, and it just rhymes and it fits. Um, so yes, yeah, so I don't quite know actually where the origin of it came from. I don't know where, it, when it was, when I was small, or I think it might've been possibly as I started developing as a young swimmer, uh, I always finished. And if I got interviewed, I always had a big grin on my face. So I think <laughs> it just kind of stuck. <laughs> Mate, a lot of, uh, you know, young swimmers have idols and heroes growing up. And for a lot of people, you know, that's you for them. What about yourself as you were growing up? Did you have any heroes, idols? Was it perhaps, sorry, away from swimming? Did you see anybody from other sports? No, it was actually very much in swimming, but it wasn't so much the swim. It was just how this individual was herself. So for me, it was Misty Hyman. Now, I do apologize. It might be a wee bit of a sore spot for <laughs> Australia. <laughs> but, um, for me, it was just who she was as an individual, not necessarily the outcome of the race. Um, I love the fact that behind the block before the final started, she had a massive grin on her face. She was taking on the crowd, waving. Mm. And just loving life. And for me, I felt, you know what? You're at an Olympic final. You know you've done all the work. And all you've got left to do is actually just smile and enjoy the swim. And I thought, I'd love to be in a position where I know I've done the work. I know that all I've got left to do is to just smile and enjoy the swim. So for me, her kind of core values and concepts of it, was I just really kind of loved and latched onto. And then her reaction at the end as well. And just the fact that she just didn't parade around that she was an Olympic gold medalist. She just kept herself quite genuine. And I just was quite drawn to kind of her personality really. Um, and also I just love her underwater work. I, I still can't to this day figure <laughs> out how on earth she got off the walls as fast as she did. Yeah. But um, it was very, very cool. And for my 30th birthday, uh, my fiance actually got me to meet her. Oh, nice. Um, I cried. I was so excited. Um, and I got to spend two hours in a pool training with her, just learning just different parts on butterfly and just breaking it down and having a different perspective and just her outlook on swimming, um, the, you know, the way that body moves. And there was just so much I could connect with. Um, so yeah, so for me, she was, she was my idol growing up. Um, and just, I guess that positivity and that sort of personality trait 
which possibly could have, you know, been the main sort of driving force for Smiley Miley coming through. Um, <laughs> where yeah. did you guys um, meet up? So where did you get that opportunity to, to have a session with her? So I raced at the US Nationals um, in 2019. And um, after racing, I stayed on and went uh, over to LA. So we were in Stanford and I flew over to LA to meet up with my fiance. And I think we had like four or five days exploring and enjoying there. And on my birthday, my fiance was like, right, I've got a surprise for you. I'm not going to tell you what it is, but it does involve a flight. So I was like, okay. And he was giving me all these different red herrings uh, saying, you know, make sure you pack jumpers, make sure, are you afraid of heights? Do you like fish? And it was, I had no idea what we were doing. So we got to the airport and I realized that we were flying over to uh, Phoenix. So I thought, okay. And part in my head did pick up thinking, oh, I think Misty lives in Arizona. So yeah, that's kind of cool. <laughs> But it didn't cross my mind at all. And then he was like, right, can you pass me your phone and I'm going to book an Uber. So he booked an Uber to pick us up. And then we were driving and he goes, right, we're going on to another stop, but we need to kind of go to this checkpoint first. And I thought, what on earth are we doing? <laughs> You're an amazing <laughs> race. <laughs> yeah. And then, um, and then, yeah, we got to this cul-de-sac where it was literally a dead end. And then there was this lady stood there with balloon flowers and a little girl on her hip. And then I suddenly twigged as to who this person was. And I was like, looking at her, looking at Ewan, looking at Misty, <laughs> looking at Ewan. And I was like, no way, no way. And then my eyes started watering up and I was just so stunned. Um, yeah. So then, so I was actually at Misty's house, which is unreal, by the way. Her mm. husband, I think, is an architect. So the, everything was just stunning. Yeah. And she had her own little pool and she's got this glassed area where if she does clinics, girls go, uh, you know, girls or guys go in and they can see all the achievements that she's got on the wall and some of her parkas that she had on her Olympic kit they can try on. And um, it just, yeah, it was very, very surreal. So we mm. stayed at her house until like two o'clock in the morning. They had a hot tub. Uh, we were in the pool. We had dinner and yeah, it was just unbelievable. And she was just so welcoming and so friendly and lovely. Um, so for me, it was just, I've met my idol and she was everything that I kind of thought she'd be. So Yeah, well, you know, how, how good for you that, that that's the case, you know. <laughs> so if you hear stories, don't you, about you know, people, oh, yeah, I met my idol. How'd it go? Yeah, not great. Uh, yeah. they, they weren't as exciting as I thought they would be. But, you know, obviously for you, what, what a treat. And obviously, um, you know, well done to your, to your fiancé for teeing that one up. What a... What a good guy. No idea what I'm going to do for his birthday, though. He's kind of set the standard quite high. <laughs> who, who is his idol? I, I, hope, I, I hope it's not anyone that you have to you know, go above. I could have issues. <laughs> <laughs> now, mate, obviously, um, you know, we'll get into your international career in a moment. But, you know, before we start um, into there, you know, before you got to that stage, and we'll touch on 205 in a minute with the junior, um, you know, European championships. Yeah. Before you got to those stages, though, was there anything that you struggled with within your training before it all started to click? You know, I know you do a lot of prehab and stuff like that now, but, you know, were you doing it back then, activation stuff? How was your nutrition, nerves before competitions? Like, what, what was Hannah Miley having to work through that probably, you know, the youngest swimmers that are listening to the podcast can, yeah. can sort of uh, identify with? I struggled a lot with my eating. Uh, now, I didn't have any disorders, but I knew I didn't eat enough. Uh, because I would always feel really tired and sluggish at the end of training sessions and going through that developmental stage I was very skinny and quite small 
Um, so for me, it was really trying to work a little bit on my eating and mm. I had a very sweet tooth as well. So mm. you'd eat a lot of rubbish and feel really full and then wonder why you felt knackered, you know, within an hour or two. So yeah, definitely my nutrition could have been a lot better. Um, Prepool wise as well, I definitely didn't pay too much attention to that. I got my first kind of niggle or injury around 13, 14 and it was in my shoulder. And that was when I kind of realized my physio pretty much told me off that I needed to be doing that. So that was kind of the starting phase. Yeah. Um, and I kind of dipped in and out. I probably wasn't too hundred percent in on it. And looking back, I probably wish that I had been a little bit more into it because I've got a couple of issues with my shoulders now that had I maybe looked after my shoulders back then yeah. might help my shoulders be a little bit more robust just now. So if you, if you guys aren't doing pre-vol right now, that's one thing I really recommend. <laughs> it does help. It really does help. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so there was a couple of things that I, I wasn't getting right as a youngster, um, but it's important to recognize that actually these are things I can improve on because mm. then it just makes things better. If you're doing everything right now, it does make it very difficult to then find those little areas to improve. Um, so I then started looking at trying to find ways of improving my diet. So my mom was really good. She would get me trying to cook the meals for the family and yeah. by being at the stove cooking actually the smells of the food would make me quite hungry so mm. i was then starting to you know eat more of the right foods and actually feel hungry enough to eat like a full meal instead of only eating half and kind of leaving and i'm a slow eater as well yeah. i'm always the last to finish and because i'm a slow eater i fill up really quickly so i only ever would normally eat half of what i was supposed to so what were some of your signature dishes that you could cook up like what, what are your what are your specialties? Spaghetti bolognese, <laughs> lasagna, although I needed help with the cheese sauce. I couldn't master the cheese sauce. I always burnt it. So my mom would either do it or we'd kind of cheat and get one from a jar. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was anything kind of bolognese because for me, I love the smell of cooked mints. That yeah. really made me quite hungry. So that was a, a good thing. Um, and then we kind of developed this thing of, uh, if you do what you've always done, you'll get what you've always got. So every season or every cycle, we'd always try and find an activity to do that wasn't swimming related that we thought would give me an edge. So one year I would run to training. So my house was about three kilometers from the pool. And every other morning I would make the decision to run to training. So I'd have a little backpack that would have my swimsuit cap and goggles. I would give my dad uh, the rest of my kit to take. And then I, I'd run to the pool. He would arrive. I then grab my stuff out and then go and get changed because I kind of felt, you know, who else is doing this? Yeah. And then another year I went to a boxing club and basically did once a week, just a boxing workout with some of the boxers. And it was mad, absolutely mad. <laughs> like even the warm ups themselves were just nuts, but it how was your competitive nature in there with the boxing? <laughs> it was brilliant because my brothers <laughs> went as well. So when we got to be put in the boxing ring, it was brilliant being able to just hit them <laughs> <laughs> uh, safely, obviously with gloves, but yes. uh, yeah. And you, you know, they'd start off with saying, right, you're going to do a, um, so our, in the Northeast Scotland, we've kind of got our own dialect. So it will be a thousand skips, but the guy would say like, ah, um, a thousand scaps. <laughs> so you'd sit, sit there doing like a thousand skips. It's like skipping as much as you can. And you're only about maybe halfway through. And he goes, right, 50 fishtails. You're like, I thought you were just skipping. And then you might start doing the fishtails. And then they're going, right, you're going on to 10, 20 press-ups. And you're thinking, ah. So you kind of felt like I have to try and finish this and then be on time to do the next exercise. So it did really help the competitive side because you, you didn't want to get left behind at all. 
And then another season, we try to do a bit of rock climbing as well. I love rock climbing and I still do enjoy it as a hobby, um, just purely for the puzzle and the mental break and just love how you can get up. It's not all about pulling yourself up. You've got to work your legs, your core. Mm. Everything has to work in a one, which I think is great for transferring over into the pool. Um, and then even tried a little bit of dancing as well. So just trying to shake things up and do little bits like that, which I think is really important. I do think it is important to have other activities other than swimming, mm. um, just to help with your muscle de development and coordination skill as well. And it's good to have different friend groups uh, at, with swimming as well. Uh, and, and then you truly, you do find out your strengths, your weaknesses, and um, you can kind of go back into swimming feeling a bit more refreshed and mentally ready to go because it's not all about swimming. Um, you've had a little break with other sports. Could not agree more. Um, mate, 2005, you make the junior team for the European Junior Championships. What was that experience like for you at, I, I think you were 16 at that age? Um, you know, I, what? Yeah. <laughs> hey? Sorry, I was 15, actually. It was just before my 16th birthday. Oh, there you go. See the research. I didn't have the dates right, but it's okay. I was close yeah. enough. <laughs> uh, mate, you know, what lessons did you learn, you know, at, at that uh, meet? And, and how did that help you sort of take the next step? Because, you know, the next year you go to Com Games, um, you know, mm -hmm. and, and come over our way. So what lessons did you learn there at that meet that you then took into, you know, senior competition? Um... So there was definitely a lot. It was an outdoor pool, an outdoor competition, which uh, I hadn't really had that much experience on. So swimming backstroke outdoors was very interesting. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and being probably the palest one there, it was very easy to spot me. <laughs> and the amount of sun cream I had to bring as well to make sure <laughs> that I didn't fry or get burnt. Um, I learned a lot to deal with, uh, I guess, personal pressure, pressure from the team um the excitement of getting team kits uh, which is really good but the whole process of having accreditation making sure that you've got your accreditation to go in to swim or go into the venue taking your accreditation to the heats and then for the finals and just those sort of like little important bits which i guess as a senior swimmer i now take for granted but looking back at that when i was you know that age in 2005 it was also new and a little bit scary and daunting because you then suddenly realize that this is a big deal. I'm mm -hmm. racing against some of the best girls in Europe in my age group. And the girl I was racing against in the heats uh, was Katinka Hosu. And the girl I was racing against uh, who won it was Katinka Hosu. And I actually, the funny thing is, is my dad actually found the video. He videoed it uh, my whole race and he recorded it. And I have been asking him to try and send it to me. And I've got a picture of Katinka and I uh, at the medal ceremony. And for those who might be able to see it on the screen, you know, that was, yeah, it's just a little bit of history, which is awesome. And yeah, I learned at 15. About, yeah, at 15. I was just about maybe two weeks away from being 16. So to be on the podium at that age uh, and at a European meet felt so exciting. And I remember my dad saying that athletes who go to the European juniors have a chance of qualifying for an Olympic Games. But if you get on the podium, he says a lot of European swimmers who go to the Olympic Games have actually podiumed at the European Junior Champs. So for me, I was watching Jana Klutchkova absolutely from events and followed her progress and saw what she did at European Junior level. And I realized that actually, I thought, this is possible. This is actually really possible. So it was the first time that I really realized that I had a chance at making an Olympic team. Mm. Um, and that was even at the age of 15. I didn't really fully believe it until I'd made the common games team, but 
even from then it was you know I guess a little taster into what life could be like if I decided to stick with swimming as a, a career. In 2006 you, you head over our way and compete for the Commonwealth Games yeah. in Melbourne and, and you've been back since you know you've, you've uh, 2018 as well uh, on the Gold Coast you've had some success at Commonwealth Games but especially in Australia what have your experiences been like, you know, when you come over our way? Do you enjoy racing over here? And as a side note, do you have a favorite city? <laughs> um, I do love Melbourne. Melbourne is really, really nice. Um, Melbourne, like flying over to Australia for the first time was incredible. I couldn't believe how long the flight was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I couldn't believe how strange it was feeling so tired during the day and then feeling so wide awake at night. Um, <laughs> So those little bits were really interesting to get over, but I just love the lifestyle of how active everybody was really early in the mornings and how ready to go. And then how early everything seems to shut off and everyone's ready for like bed quite yeah. early on. So it, it was just such a nice lifestyle and everybody was so friendly. And especially if you said that you were Scottish, I always felt there was a bit more of an extra boost of support mm -hmm. <laughs> saying that you're from Scotland. Yeah. So yeah, it was awesome. And again, I had to bring a whole lot of sun cream over <laughs> to make sure I didn't fry. Um, and, you know, following the, is it the slip slap slop, uh, you know, putting on sun cream. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so kind of having to follow that rule quite strict as well because yeah. uh, I did get burnt one of the days and it was... You would have got a sunscreen sponsorship over here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so no, so I really enjoyed it and everything, like all the birds, the noises, um, the food was just so fresh. Like I couldn't believe the sort of freshness of the fruit and yeah, everything was just so much more bright and shiny. It was brilliant. Uh, mm. So I really loved going over there. Um, it was just how long it took to get over there that I really struggled with. <laughs> yeah. I've done a couple of Europe trips myself um, and yeah, it takes so long and. Uh, I agree with you. Um, what, what about competing wise over here though? You know, do you have a favorite pool? I mean, obviously the Gold Coast was outside, but you've had by this stage a lot more experience of, of racing outdoors, but do you have yeah. a favorite pool? Um, I really quite like the pool at Southport. Um, that was actually a really nice pool. We did a training camp there for a little bit. Uh, mm. I just love the fact that all the pools, majority of them are outdoors. So for mm. me, if it's an outdoor one, it's always going to get a thumbs up from me. <laughs> yeah. uh, because even though I don't really tan, I get lots of freckles and uh, I quite like that. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's really difficult to kind of pick one pool that I really like. Um, I, I really did like the competition pool in Melbourne um, because I found it quite fascinating how it was an outdoor but in pool. So even though it was outdoors, the canopy over it yeah. made a big difference and helped an awful lot on backstroke. But I couldn't believe how cold it got in the evenings. Uh, yeah. I think our team manager went out and bought us parkas. And I found it <laughs> hilarious that I thought, I'm in Australia and I'm wearing a really thick woolly parka. <laughs> um, Especially and, in Melbourne, mate, because they, they're um, very well known in Melbourne for having like four seasons in one day. So it can get very yeah. hot. It can get very cold. It's going to get windy. It's probably going to rain all in the space of one day. All that's missing yeah. is probably the snow, but one day that'll yeah. happen too, I bet. <laughs> Uh, you guys aren't missing much with the snow. Don't worry about it. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I really enjoyed just the the atmosphere that it gave. And it was the Commonwealth Games that made me decide that actually I could do this as a career. Mm -hmm. So racing in 2000, uh, at the Commonwealth Games in 2006, eight weeks before that, I was actually in hospital with pneumonia. I'd lost a fair amount of weight, so I didn't really know how I was going to perform. And 
I actually ended up just missing out third, uh, a bronze medal. Um, I think Jennifer Riley just picked me out. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it was really exciting just how awesome the crowd was. Like, you guys really love swimming. So yeah. for me, I just fell in love with it so much more. And I thought, oh, you know what? Being in the village, having the whole hype, the crowd, you know, guys going around with these uh, T-shirt guns on poolside, firing them out into the crowd. <laughs> yeah. I thought, this is awesome. I thought, if you could do this as a career, this would be fab. And I thought, you can study and, you know, go to university until you're 99, but you can't necessarily swim at an elite level until you're 99. So for me, I thought, you know what, I'm going to make the opp- take the opportunity whilst it's here, see how far I can take it, and then um, go from there. So, yeah, so it was Melbourne was kind of my deciding point on being like, you know what, I'm going to stick with this and see how far I can go with swimming. Well, I'm glad we could help you and, and yeah. go, for, go from there you did, mate. Obviously, we're going to get more into your career now. And from 2008 yeah. to 2012, say, you know, you had some phenomenal years there competitively and you did some of your, you know, career best racing. And we'll, we'll get to Olympics in a little bit later. But the one I want to zero in on is the 2010 European Championships in Budapest. Yeah. Um, and obviously we've already talked about uh, Katinka just before, but you won the gold medal uh, in the 400 IM there over Katinka in her home home games there. Um, I just actually rewatched it today and, and your breaststroke uh, in that race. God damn. Talk to me about, <laughs> talk to me about your memory of that race. Um, you know, and what was going so right for you through those years? Cause you were clearly fit, fast and confident. Yeah, I think there were, uh, I was coming into, I guess, what you could call the peak time for an athlete. I was, uh, it was my 21st birthday the day before that swim. So uh, I, I remember being like, huh, celebrate my 21st in a hotel room. So yeah, so for me, it was kind of, uh, kind of exciting, but also kind of boring at the same time, celebrating your 21st in a hotel room. But I knew that I have an opportunity. So the last time I raced at a European champs um, in Budapest was in 2006 and I mucked it up spectacularly. I did. Yeah. I let the crowd and it overwhelmed me. It just didn't click. And it was the third time being back in the same venue racing. So I kind of felt it kind of came full circle. The first Mm. time I raced was in 2005 went well 2006 didn't go well so I thought right I've an opportunity now for a third time lucky let's see what we can do and I remember doing kind of a a pre-set before the competition started we had a couple of days uh preparation camp before racing and one of the sets I did um I felt really good and I just felt really happy I don't know what it was something just in my mind felt like you know what this is my time to really prove myself to try and, you know, write the, the ghost of Budapest uh, <laughs> off and uh, just see how I go. And I was very aware that Katinka was, you know, very dominant. It's an honor home turf. So mm. I thought, well, if I can just get on the podium, that would be great. And swam the heats and the heats were rough. It was all right, but I was kind of surprised across the board. It wasn't a quick heat swim. Uh, I think Maria Belmonte actually missed making the final. Um, so it was quite shocking and I knew that she was also coming through too. So I was kind of surprised that she hadn't made it. So going into the final, I knew that in 2006, I was kind of a rabbit caught in headlights with the crowd and the noise. So I thought, right, I'll have my headphones in. 
I'm going to stay as warm as possible. So I'm going to keep all my layers on because I last time I walked out in just my costume and mm. I just got cold. Um, so I kept my uh, costume on. I'd also recently just signed a deal with Arena. So mm. for me, I was wearing my new Arena suit. I had like the Arena racing hat. So I felt super fast and ready to go. And as soon as I got on the block, I actually don't really remember too much on the race, just bar the fact that the sun was really warm. So I mm. felt warm. And I just felt ready, like everything came to that point of being like, oh, you know what, let's just go for this. I've trained hard for this. And I almost like that Misty Hyman moment of yeah. all I've got left to do is just enjoy this swim. And on the backstroke leg, I realized that Jose will pull out in front because her backstroke is really quite strong. Mm -hmm. So was Susanna Jakobos, who was there as well. Yep. And then I got onto the breaststroke leg and normally I can kind of keep up with her, but I realized that I was actually catching Katinka mm -hmm. up. And then on the turn, I realized... I'm kind of ahead now. This yeah. Is awesome. <laughs> yeah. My breaststroke has been like the worst stroke for so long. So it started finally clicking in. And mm. I still to this day don't really know what I was doing on the breaststroke. <laughs> I was just, but the rhythm and the timing just yeah. worked. And then on the freestyle, I knew I was out in front, but you kind of feel like, no, don't get ahead of yourself. There might be someone in lane eight who's just absolutely nailed mm. it, like an outdoor, uh, an outside smoker. And yeah, coming into the wall, I touched and I realized I think I might have you know, I might, maybe I've won it. I don't know. And I said, turn and I saw the, the time and then the placing. And I was just so stunned. It was the yeah. fastest I'd ever gone. And yeah, it, it just all came together so well. So it was a very cool moment to a, I guess, beat the home crowd favorite, uh, kind of, I guess, be the, the underdog coming through and feel like, you know what, I am good enough to kind of do this. And, um, and yeah, it was just a great moment. It just felt really, really good. Mate. I think it was 433. You went there. Yeah. Yeah, so um, it wasn't too, too shabby. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it was, it was very good. And obviously, you know, I, I want to get into the 400 IM because it's obviously a grueling event for most people. But, you know, you've been doing it now, you know, for many years and at the highest level, um, you know, give us a little insight into that 400 IM for you. How, how do you approach it? I think your PB now at 431? Yes, 431. Uh, and my PB was done in a poly suit, but I went at 431 at the Commie Games in 2014. So, yeah. I got pretty close to it. But yeah, it, my the way I've swum it has kind of changed over the years. Um, again, my dad, I think, has done a presentation on the 400 medley and he breaks down the splits and the analysis and how much time you spent percentage-wise on your first half compared to your second half. Mm. So every athlete kind of has, I guess, their fingerprint, their, their strength and weakness sort of ratio where they're able to squeeze out the times that basically you know, equate to your overall time. So for me, I always know my front half is not as strong as my second half. Um, but I try and make it as fast as I possibly can without killing myself off. So we used to talk about easy speed on fly. Mm -hmm. So you try and have maybe a higher tempo arm rate, uh, but with not a lot of legs. Yeah. Uh, same on backstroke, because then when it comes to breaststroke, I need the legs for the breaststroke. And then on the free, it's just whatever you've got left. Um, so it's all about trying to swim as fast as you possibly can as efficient as you can and because you're switching strokes it's such a strange event in that you kind of almost hold 200 pace for 400 meters mm. um on each stroke you know your 200 speed is pretty much what you're wanting to to hold really just for 250s 
Um, so yeah, so I kind of approach it with a rough race plan. The only time I think I probably threw that race plan out the window was Commie Games in 2014. Mm. Um, but up until then, yeah, I'd always kind of swum it as a bit softer at the front because I knew that I needed to finish stronger at the back. And as I've gotten older, I've had to try and play around with the pace strategy a little bit more because my body shape changes as you get older and also my strengths have changed and the way that I've trained has changed. Um, but yeah, at that time, I guess that was the strategy and what that worked for me. Mate, you're a total professional there. You've led me straight into 2014 and, and the Commonwealth <laughs> Games. You didn't even know that you've done it and that's how good you are. Now, 2014, massive year for you because you get the opportunity to perform in front of a home crowd, Commonwealth Games in Glasgow. You know, not a lot of people get those opportunities. Um, obviously, lucky enough for us, we, you know, here in Australia, we have had a few. But, you know, for you getting that fairy tale finish, getting gold uh, in front of family and friends, what was that moment like for you in your career and how special to you are, are those games? Hugely special. Um, there was a lot going on in that, I guess, the year leading into it. So 2013, September 2013, right up until the race day. Um, it was incredibly tough. Um, I got, it's going to sound really bad, but I got beat for the first time by another British swimmer, um, sort of around the winter time. Uh, I got beat by Amy Wilmot. And that was a huge shock because I guess I've been dominating the Fauna medley in Britain for so long that all of a sudden this youngster coming through and she'd always been there nipping at my heels, but she absolutely kicked my arse. And that was a huge wake up call. And I thought, Oh, okay, <laughs> this is going to be very, very interesting. Yeah. And then every time I raced her, she was getting faster and faster and she was getting further and further away from me. And I thought, okay, this is going to be hard. Um, so I, I was really struggling with my confidence because whenever I raced her, she just nailed it. And as I said, she was just getting faster and faster. Then it came to the trials for the Commonwealth Games. So we ended up having Scottish Nationals where we trialed first Team Scotland. And then literally off the back of the Scottish Nationals, we went straight into the British Nationals, which is where Team England, I think, qualified. Mm -hmm. So going into the British Nationals, um, I raced the 400 IM at the Scottish Nationals. I just didn't swim great. I felt like I'd been training really hard. I'd done a couple of altitude seasons. And it. I was... Like the effort I was putting in wasn't being reflected or shown in the time I was producing. And it was yeah. really, really frustrating. So when it came to British nationals, I'd race the 400 at Scottish. So I made the decision not to race it at British because part of my ego was like, I really don't want to get beat by Amy in front of <laughs> the DB crowd. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I remember, I think afterwards, I think Amy was quite cross because she wanted to race me and felt mm -hmm. that she could have gone quicker had she raced me. So I thought, yeah, that was kind of the reason why I didn't want to race. <laughs> but also, I'd already raced it before, so I thought yep. there's no point in me trying to kind of kill myself off by doing two weeks worth of racing back to back. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I was just left feeling so frustrated because no matter how fast I was going in training, it just wasn't reflecting into my racing. And my dad was so good at that time because he said, just be patient, trust in what you're doing. It's fine. It'll come together when it counts. So when it came to race day, um, my dad wasn't selected as a coach on the team, which I, I struggled with a little bit. So it was the first time at an international meet he wasn't there. And I had the weight of the world on my shoulders because the expectation for the games, um, they, they changed the Commonwealth program to put the 400 IM on day one. 
400 IM is normally on the last day at a Commonwealth mm-hmm. Games, but the, the the Scottish guys decided, you know what, we're going to kick off with a bang. We're going to have Hannah lead us off into victory. So we're going to have the 400 IM on day one. Not only was it day one, it was the first event. And not only was it the first event, I was the first heat as well. So, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) So for me, I was trying to deal with all the pressure from that. And luckily enough, having the the Olympic Games in 2012, I kind of had a little bit of a dose on what it was like coping with a home crowd. But this just felt different because, again, I can't quite describe it. Just when you're representing Scotland, it's more of home. And the way that the pool is, everything's a lot closer on poolside. So the noise just reverberates right in your chest. It's not about the space and how far out and how many in the crowd. Everyone's right there. So it's really kind of like a warm, hearty kind of feel. Yeah. Homely. yeah, homely. That's the best word. Uh, so, yes, yeah, so when it came to the, the heats, you know, I swam all right. And I kind of felt, you know, try and play off that this was as easy as I possibly could have done. But it was actually quite hard. And I thought, <laughs> watched Amy swim and she looked like she was really relaxed towards the end. So I thought, right, I'm going to have to change this up. And I remember speaking to my dad. We did like secret meetups beforehand. <laughs> uh, we would sit on a, a wall at a petrol station just past the, uh, the Commonwealth Village. And we weren't really supposed to be meeting up, but I kind of thought, oh, you know what, <laughs> I need support right now. Yeah. And the last thing he said to me was just race. He's like, it doesn't matter what time you've done. He's like, I'm so proud of what you've done and worked hard for this year. He's like, just race. That's all yeah. you need to do. So going into the call room, um, I got myself ready, had my headphones on. And as soon as I walked out, literally two meters before I got on the block, I knew I'm going to have to change my race plan. So normally I'm known for being holding back. Mm-hmm. I decided to actually take the race out. So I went out, I think in one of the fastest splits I've done, which is like a 62 low. Mm-hmm. My PB for 100 flies, like a 101.8. And I think I went out in a 102.0 or 102.1 or something like that. So yeah, it was a little bit suicidal, but I felt, you know what? I'm you just imagine your dad watching that like, oh, what is she doing? <laughs> <laughs> I know I told her to go for it, but... <laughs> So I kind of thought if I'm ahead of Amy at the breaststroke, I know I've got this. I know I can finish strong. And um, I was confident enough that she couldn't catch up with me on that last 100. So, and also I knew she knew what my race plan was because I'd always done it the same way. So I kind of had hoped by going out a little bit harder, it might have changed how she viewed the swim. Mm -hmm. And um, so I swam it, did the backstroke, saw she caught up and overtook. And then off the breaststroke, I couldn't really see anything until the last turn. I turned, pushed off, and then I thought, I won't swear. Beep, there's yeah. her feet. <laughs> I'm not in front, I'm in second, there's her feet. Right, well, I'm obviously just going to fight and see how close I can get to her because she's obviously going to win this. Mm-hmm. And then as we were going down that second last 50, I realized, oh, hold on, I'm at her hips. And then it was, oh, no, I'm at her shoulders. I thought. I actually maybe have a chance of taking this. So I yeah. turned on the last 50 and I swear to God, I've never, ever heard, normally the cries are really loud, but I, you never really hear anything underwater. Mm. And as soon as I pushed off, I think I turned something like maybe 0.01 or 0.3 ahead of her at the, at the last 50 and the crowd and the noise just erupted and I heard it underwater and I got so excited. I was dying and in pain because it's a 400 medley but yeah. I just got so excited on that last 50 and then I saw all the Scottish guys lined up at the side of the pool waving me on and as much as I was dying I just rode off the noise rode off the adrenaline right into the wall and then to touch the wall I knew that I'd done it and it was just a huge sense of relief that I'd achieved the I guess the personal pressure of 
defending my title. There'd only been two other Scottish women who'd successfully done that before. So I felt I've made history here, not just for Scotland, but for myself. Um, I've achieved performing, I guess, on a home crowd and that kind of pressure it brings itself. And then when I saw the time, I was also so stunned and I thought, this is great. I'm going to really celebrate it. You know, everyone does this sort of like arm beat moments. They sit <laughs> on the lane rope, they flash. And I thought, this is my moment. I'm going to sit on the lane rope, sat on the lane rope and I fell straight off. <laughs> it's so harder sitting on a lane rope and I was There's <laughs> an art to it. <laughs> I definitely did not have it. But yeah, it just, it meant the world to me because there was just, it wasn't just so much the win. It was just everything around it. The psychology build up, the stress, the tension, the pressure, and just to achieve it and to see, you know what? I can actually do this. I am, you know, just before I turned 25, I've just made a huge progression again from the polysuit era to now. And, um, and I think a few people had, I guess, written me off and sort of said, Amy's the one coming through and she still is. She's still an amazing swimmer. And I probably wouldn't have done that swim had it not been for her. So I really appreciate the rivalry and having her there as a competitor. Um, so yeah, so it was a very, it was a very cool moment and one that definitely stays with me for a long time. There's a lot more to it than that. <laughs> Mate, you know, another thing I've, I've uh, uncovered, I guess, doing my research on you is there's no doubt you're a bit of a fan of short course racing. Yeah. So, you know, um, you know, short course uh, European championships, world champion, uh, at one stage in your career, what do you enjoy most about short course racing? And, you know, do you approach it a little bit differently to, to your long course races? Um, it's going to sound Obviously really there's more turns. I, we get that, but you well, know what I mean? Yeah, that, that's kind of it. I'm, I'm probably one of the world's worst turners, which doesn't really make much sense, but I train pretty much my, well, the pool that I trained in in Inverurie um, up until 2016 was a four lane, 25 meter pool. And that was all I trained in going up to the, you know, the three Olympic games, um, the, you know, the world champs and world short course and European short course. So uh, I, I love training short course and prefer racing long course, but short course racing, I feel is kind of fun. Um, yep. I don't really know what I'm doing with it. <laughs> I just <laughs> get in, swim, try and nail the turns as much as I can, but approach it no differently to long course competition really uh bar the fact that i just need to be efficient under the water and try and not slow up going into the turns i definitely do miss doing more short course training because i feel that does impact on how i approach turns i think i slow up maybe a little bit too much um but yeah 2012 world short course champs was actually quite nice uh especially with yeshi when winning the gold medal and then to actually just pip her at the end because she was coming back so fast on that last 50 <laughs> oh my goodness um yeah that was that was kind of a nice little i guess accolade i mean a lot of people say short course doesn't matter but for me that did that that meant an awful yeah. lot to kind of feel like you know what i'm 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 good against the world. <laughs> 100%. Now, I, we touched on it a little bit before, but do you have any pre-race rituals? Do you have any things that you have to do before you race? Have you maybe grown out of them as you've, you know, uh, matured and evolved? No, they've gotten worse as I've gotten older. Um, <laughs> I, guess, I don't know if it's just an athlete thing or a swimmer thing, but yeah, we have, I, I don't know whether it's probably more superstition than ritual. <laughs> um, yeah, I always have to do, so if I'm going before the 400 IM, I always have to spin my arms around in the order of the 400 IM. So four fly strokes, eight backstroke strokes, four breaststroke, eight freestyle. And then I do the same with my legs. I then have to circle my ankles uh, clockwise on one side, uh, anti-clockwise on the other, and then re re change direction. 
when I'm on the block, I have to rub my hands and my feet on the block so they get extra sensitive. So I feel grip on the water. Mm-hmm. And then I can't start the race unless I've cracked my neck to the left and it will only go to the left. It won't crack to the right, only the left. So yeah, for some reason, I know it's not going to be a good swim if I can't crack it to the left. (laughs) No, but the fact that I've done all the training and all that beforehand, it's all down to that neck crack. (laughs) And you were telling me before we started, there's actually a meme about you with, with that. Yeah. Yeah, there is. So there's a funny picture where it is me mid crack and it says when coach tells you you've got 10 200s fly, you might as well end it now. <laughs> it's a bit of a dark meme, but yeah. <laughs> Mate, what about, I saw in that video I watched that you had your headphones in. Do you have a, a pre-race playlist that you like to listen to? And has that changed yeah. over the years? Yes, it changes all the time. Uh, before each uh, competition like major meets, I always try and set a different playlist uh so it's listening to different tunes and i try and find obscure music that gets me quite excited not too hyped up but yeah that makes me feel like i want to get up and dance and music that i won't hear an awful lot on the radio because i will play these songs to death that's the <laughs> only thing i end up listening to for the whole meet and the last thing you want to hear is listening to it on the radio when you uh, go in your car yeah. so i try and change it up at the moment probably my favorite group at the moment is a, a band called elephant sessions it's kind of okay. like a celtic music that i've been jazzed up with a bit of electronic in it's yeah, really yeah. difficult to describe there's no mu- no words to it it's just purely music mm-hmm. and i love stuff like that because i know it's so obscure no one else will be listening to it um yeah, so I, I love listening to music, like just getting that right tune. It can be just one song, which I literally will play on repeat, or it'll be a couple of songs, but I'm very particular with it. Now, I, I mentioned at the start of our chat that you are a three-time Olympian, which is you know, a tremendous credit to you and, and your work ethic. So from 2008 in Beijing, 2012 in London, 2016 in Rio, did you get better at handling, you know, the biggest event in, in the sports, you know, the biggest event in the world of sports, sorry, with the Olympics? And was 2012 a little bit more special because, you know, it was somewhat of a home games? Yeah. A lot of people tend to ask, like, which one was my favorite one? And it's really mm. difficult to say because an Olympics is an Olympics. Like, yeah. any Olympics you make, it will be your favorite one. But each one brought its own lesson. and. Um, and yeah, and London was very, very slick. Uh, there's probably a lot more memories, I guess, for Beijing and Rio because there were a lot of things that went wrong. And I guess with it not being in home soil, um, there are a lot of differences. Uh, but being in London, because nothing, there wasn't really anything that went wrong, it was so smooth and so slick and well done. Um, it's very difficult to kind of find funny stories. <laughs> um, but yeah, coming with the home crowd pressure was different. And at, no matter how loud I put my music on, you weren't going to hear your music at all. So that was very cool walking out to hearing your name being chanted and just the support you had. It was a little bit daunting to start with because you think, oh, okay, there's a lot of people watching and right, I'm very aware now that I need to perform. Mm. But you can kind of, if you get the right mindset, you can kind of enjoy it. You can kind of learn to love it. And I guess it depends a bit on your personality type. If you love performing in front of people that sort of stuff you've you know you're kind of taken embrace mm. but sometimes if you find that's quite daunting you have to try and find a way of being able to manage it because you know it's here to stay as an athlete you've got mm. to deal with uh, with home crowd like that um but yeah each olympics was definitely different and it's at the end of the day it still is another competition it's no different to racing at a commie games or racing at a europeans just 
well obviously with Europeans you've got less competition but yeah, yeah, yeah I, I, I know what you mean <laughs> it's still a pool it's still got water you still got to dive yeah. in and yeah yeah and it's just a couple more people watching so for me it was just trying to kind of get that mindset of thinking of it rationally like that but then once racing was finished being able to enjoy and embrace the Olympics itself and Rio as tough as it was was probably one of my biggest learning curves because I learned so much more about myself as an individual and actually what sport meant to me um as hard yeah as hard as it was it was actually a really good game uh, and probably one of my best ones I think so what about um Mate, sorry, <laughs> yeah, com- competition-wise, and, and and you know your events at those. How how do you look back on your racing at the Olympics? Are you is there other things that you wish you you could have done a little bit better? Obviously, you know Rio. There you say you look back fondly. Are there things from Beijing that you you know you wished could have been done a little yeah. bit differently? Yeah, I actually. <laughs> Uh, it was just after the phone at AM. Um, it was to do with suit sponsor. Uh, we had suits given to us at the time, and we had to handpick the the name of that sponsor off the suit because they didn't give us unbranded ones. And for the 200 AM heat, um, I put the suit on, which I thought I'd picked the word off, and I hadn't. And then uh, once I won my heat, the camera was on me, and yeah, it's safe to say the team sponsor happy that I was wearing this conflicting uh, yeah. <laughs> sponsored suit. <laughs> so I learned a big lesson then of being very particular with you know how important sponsors and making sure you adhere to the the rules for that. It's it is quite important. Um but yeah everything you know because the first thing you want to do when you go to a, a Olympic Games is go and explore, go and see everything because the village is so huge. You've got you know food hall that's open 24-7. You've got um all these different athletes training around the village you've got buses that take you around because it's so big so you just want to go and take it all in but when you're on taper you you can't really do that because otherwise you know it's taper ruined um Mm. if you go and spend two or three hours on your feet wandering around so you kind of have to try and hold that excitement in and wait until the racing is finished because everything's still going to be there you've just got to get through your racing and get through being supportive for your team. And then you've got, you know, the second week to enjoy the, uh, but it's really fascinating when you see other sports milling around for them, it being completely normal to walk around and do their um, land training or preparation, like all the speed walkers, like first thing in the morning, watching the speed walkers go past, you see it on TV, but actually watching a speed walker go past, really don't appreciate how fast they go <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> it's incredible it is incredible um so just little things like that it really does open your eyes to the swimming bubble a little bit more um but also you kind of realize that you know this is the dream of most athletes you have reached the top and it's kind of make or break do you come back with a medal or not so i felt very disappointed with my performance in 2008 i definitely again felt like a, a rabbit caught in headlights i just got too overwhelmed with everything mm. london i definitely felt i managed it better but it just didn't wasn't meant to be the time i did it the trials would have won me a medal at the london game so for me i just didn't get my preparations right to be at my peak then but it's it, you know you, you can't change those things sometimes it's not yeah. about the times it's just about how you race on the day and for me Rio was kind of a, a, the highlight of that for me there was nothing more I could have done in that race to finish 1500s away from a medal as heartbreaking as it was actually it was probably one of the best things for me because I realized that sport means so much more to me than the medals and the accolades I get so much more from achieving the small little personal goals whether it's 
um, trying to improve on turns, whether it's just trying to race fast, you know, leave nothing left, just make sure I've given it my all, um, little things like that. And um, I enjoy sport a lot more now that I don't focus too much on, right, I need to win these medals. Obviously, you still want to win medals, <laughs> yeah. but there's more to it than that. So, yeah, yeah definitely learned a lot. And it, the Olympics is kind of a huge factor for that. Well, mate, very well said. And I think some great lessons there, especially in that last bit about what you enjoy most about swimming um, and competition. I think a lot of the, the kids out there can get a lot from that. And a lot of parents as well that are listening. Um, mate, without a doubt, you know, you're, you're a hard worker. Um, you know, you only have to look at the events that you've competed in over your career with, you know, 800 uh, freestyle, 400 IM. So you aren't afraid of a bit of hard work, obviously, in training. Yeah. What are some of the tougher sets that you've done. And obviously, um, you know, listening to our chat now, you having a little bit to say in terms of the training and, and what you do, you know, have you gone tougher on yourself? Have you tried to, you know, if you're helping come up with the set, do you go a little bit harder? Um, yeah, I try and be a bit smarter. So whilst I still want to train tough, I kind mm -hmm. of make sure that recovery is actually just as important as the tough training. Yep. Um, it's all well and good pushing yourself, but if you're going to push yourself to the point where you're not giving that your body a chance to recover, um, you're not going to get the benefit of doing those tough training sets. Um, so yeah, so I've kind of learned whilst I, you know, as a youngster, you, you're pretty much like a rubber bouncy ball. You can throw yourself at a wall and you bounce mm -hmm. straight back. Your recovery rate is so much faster. Now that I'm older, there's more to it than just, um, nutrition, there's sleep, there's, uh, commission, there's lots of other little bits to kind of think of as well. So when I do the tough training sets, I know that the standard and the quality need to be up here mm -hmm. rather than just constantly doing tough work back to back like this. I need to make sure that it's now up here, but then give myself that rest to then be able to come back up to it again. So it's trying to get that balance um, right, and especially being a, an older swimmer. So having a bit more control of that is ideal. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I still don't know whether it's the right thing or not. I'm kind of not afraid to just be like, you know what, I just need to work with what my body is telling me to do. Mm -hmm. um, I've got enough, I guess, experience and years behind me to kind of roughly know, I think, what my body is happy with doing. Because sometimes I do like doing, you know, a, an evening session of a VO2 max set and then doing maybe a lactate production threshold set the following morning yeah. and then maybe doing a bit of recovery that way. So it's not always hard work, rest, hard work, rest. You mm -hmm. know, I can do some bits back to back, but... I know that my body can cope with it. My, some other people might not. Um, so having those conversations with your coach and with yourself are really important. But yeah, some of the training sets, I mean, I've got some of the logbooks here from when I was like 14, 15, and I look at them and I just think, oh, actually that was quite challenging. Uh, <laughs> yeah. um, like we had, I was given a choice of either an lactate production set or uh, a distance set. And I hate short distance, like I hate mm. speed work. So I was the only one that decided to go the 10 800s of 10 minutes where the last two had to be uh, straight IM. Um, <laughs> and yeah, and I loved it. It was great. Yeah, uh, yeah. And there's other sets that I do, um, like we do a straight 1600 IM where every third 100, uh, you try and pick up the pace and try and get, you know, within 30 seconds of your personal best time. Uh, so yeah, 400 fly, 400 back, 400 best, 400 free as, yeah. you know, best possible effort with that third 100 being particularly strong um a couple of others uh you go 100 short rest interval so 100 free off 115 30 beats below max straight into a 50 im return pace and you repeat that maybe 12 rounds mm -hmm. um you know four on each sorry three on each stroke so a little bit like that where i guess how tough our set is is kind of i guess 
you know, a, a small, one set, might, one person might find a set tough, another person might find it quite straightforward. So it just depends how you view it. Now, you've had a brilliant career by anyone's standards. And, and the thing that uh, I think has struck me through my research has been your consistency and, uh, you know, over the decade. What motivates you to, to keep going? How do you inspire yourself, you know, to keep producing these results? And again, you know, similar to my other questions, has that motivation changed as you've matured and, and gotten older? Um, yeah, I think as a youngster, I was very motivated by doing more than everybody else. I always felt I had to be a little bit different and I kind of, I kind of thrived off of that. I knew I wasn't going to be the biggest or strongest looking athlete. So for me, working on technique and efficiency was kind of my thing. So again, that set me apart from all the others and I loved that. But I also when I was training on my own, you know, the temptation to not do a swim session, a lot of people are like, Oh, could you not just skip a session? Mm -hmm. And I thought, mm -hmm. yeah, I could easily do that. But yeah. I then sit and think, well, what would my rivals be doing? Would they be missing sessions? And you know, you always think about it and you think, no, they probably wouldn't. They would actually be making sure they were there and doing all of it. And again, I had to make sure I need to be up against them. I don't want them to have one up against me. So that always motivated me to get back in anytime I felt, oh, do I really need to do this? And it was, yeah, well, if I don't do it, then that person is probably going to have a better chance of kicking my butt because they've done it and I haven't. Mm. Um, so that kind of self-talk and self-motivation uh, kind of got me through. And as I've gotten older, it still is there. It's not really changed too much. Um, although now I kind of have to listen to my body a little bit more. I don't miss sessions, but I do speak to my dad saying, look, my, we've got other monitors to monitor and track my fatigue levels. Mm -hmm. And if they are sitting pretty low, I say, look, my, I'm struggling a little bit, get my recovery through. Can we look at the next couple of sessions to be a little bit lighter and we manage yep. it that way. Um, but yeah, motivation, it can, it, it can very you know even now you get moments where you just feel like especially winter time uh we you'll know, get affected by uh sads where um the weather you know, just lack of sunlight <laughs> for us you know like gets light at like 9 a.m and then it's dark again by 2 p.m so we don't see much sunlight when it comes into the winter time um so i use a lumi light quite a fair bit to help with that and having a lumi light um really does help get me up in the mornings mm. and i feel a lot more awake and ready to go and that in itself motivates me because uh, I don't feel as grumpy. I don't feel like I've just been shocked awake by a noise of my alarm. The light is definitely a lot better and a lot more beneficial. Um, and then sometimes listening to tunes in the car, again, music's a huge driving force. So if I feel a bit like I'm struggling, just you know, get a good playlist on that just yeah. is a good mood booster. And that really does help drive you. And you've got that one song stuck in your head, which gets you through the session. Or even if you've got a session that you're really struggling with, I think, right, ignore the times focus on one thing that you're going to do well and just focus on that. So if I've got a set where the times are not great, they're not what I'm wanting to hear. And I think, right, I want to focus on my finishes. So every single finish, I am not going to breathe 10 meters going into the wall. And I just focus on that. So the effort is still there, but that component is what I tune into just that one bit. Cause that's the one bit I can control. You can't yeah. necessarily control the, your speed or your pace. So that competitive component is what I work on. So those little bits just keep me ticking over. And currently at the moment as well, my puppy is a huge motivator because she doesn't care whether I've had a good day or a bad day. She's always yeah. there. And for me, that makes me feel a lot better. And she's really good at kind of making those sort of demotivated feelings disappear. And after yeah. I've spent a bit of time with her, I feel kind of ready to get back on it and go again. 
Mate, you're killing it. Again, I think some great advice there for the, for the young uh, swimmers out there to, to listen to it and to take away. Um, I want to get away from swimming a little bit now because we, we've talked a lot about your career and, and the swimming side of things. What do you get up to away? I know we've talked about the puppy and I know you love yeah. the puppy, but what do you get up to away from, you know, from swimming to get your mind away from the sport and just sort of... Um, detach yourself from from something that I guess at times, depending on it, what part of the season it is, can become all-consuming. Yeah. Um, again, it, it, I guess it is kind of still sport-related. Uh, let me know if this is cheating or not, but I no. do love um, my Pilates and TRX work. Um, so at the moment, I'm trying to work on getting a diploma for my uh, like one-to-one client work uh, for Pilates, and I'm using my fiancé as my... Uh, demo or as kind of my client yeah. so trying to find ways to help fix this posture um i really kind of enjoy just how the body moves and just you know sitting researching with like an anatomy book looking at articles online watching videos even using instagram for inspiration for different exercises trying to figure out why that would work why that would actually be beneficial for this posture type just those little bits i do quite enjoy it takes you know a little bit of pressure away from focusing on what i need for my sport and i can actually focus on helping other people um, I do enjoy being able to help other people. Um, so that's why I, I do want to kind of pursue the Pilates and the TRX side. Um, just cause I enjoy people feeling like they're getting work uh, done and they can achieve something and for them to set personal goals and, uh, get the same sense of achievement that I felt in swimming. Mm. Um, I love going out shopping, um, you know, with my mom, uh, or even online shopping, obviously mm. it's kind of all online shopping at the minute yeah, at the moment, yeah. trying to be good, not spend money. <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> obviously we need to be uh, conscious financially. Um, watching movies as well. Like I do love watching, you know, something on Netflix or on Amazon prime or, before the cinema shut, going to the cinema, although it always amazed me at how expensive it was going to the cinema. Uh, so that was a, a rare treat to go to the cinema. It had to be a very good movie out to warrant going to the cinema. Um, <laughs> but yeah, just those little things I think are really good just to kind of give yourself that break. And yeah, I, I enjoy doing those bits. Or sometimes colouring in as well. Again, another kind of off on a tangent, <laughs> sitting and just doing some colouring in. Um, I kind of enjoy doing that. And normally when I'm away on training camps, that for me is a great way of kind of taking myself away from focusing on swimming and actually just to unwind. And, and that Pilates and, and TRX training, is that where you see yourself going when you hang up the goggles and hang up the togs? Is that, you know, the line of, of work you want to go down or is there something else you're interested in as well? Um, yeah, I, do, I definitely do think on the fitness side, I would love to do it. Uh, working with athletes, working with individuals who want to feel better in themselves and kind of help work in their posture. Because I know I don't have the best posture in the world. I'm conscious that my neck comes forward quite a fair bit. Um, but the, the dream would be, I guess, to have somewhere where I can have an animal hydrotherapy center where I can work with animals, help them rehabilitate maybe after surgery or weight loss or just general getting them to swim as a different form of exercise. I've been teaching Poppy how to swim during lockdown. So she's been able to get in the water before I could. So that was really <laughs> difficult to try and deal with the jealous. <laughs> jealous of um, your dog because it gets the pool. Yeah. But even still, uh, you know, working with animals was always something I've wanted to do, but more as a hobby, I guess, than a career. And then another side, I'd love to have another hydro pool, but for working with individuals for swimming um, mm. and, and that kind of sense. So, so yeah, so I don't really particularly know which direction I want to go in career wise. I'm just kind of looking at the options and, seeing what I'm good at and then kind of seeing if it's 
got an opportunity in there somewhere. So I have a rough idea, but not really sure at the same time. Well, you touched on it there with, with coaching. I mean, obviously with your knowledge now and the, and the programs you're able to write and help write for yourself, you know, is that an avenue you'd, you'd like to have a look at going down? Obviously you've had a great mentor in your dad helping you along the yeah. way and learning. <laughs> um, yeah, I have seen firsthand how stressful it is being a coach. Um, I definitely, well, I'm sitting in a, coaches. I'm sitting in a bar at the moment. So that's how stressful it is that a coach <laughs> has to have a, 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 their own bar area to sit in. Oh yeah. So it's, yeah, I, I don't know. I kind of don't want that to be the first protocol jumping into it. I feel I want to try other avenues first, but maybe at some point I possibly will go into coaching. Probably I'd like to do more mentoring or even maybe master classes, but mm. I don't know. Um, I, I guess it kind of seems to be the end thing for a lot of athletes to go into being a coach. Cause I guess, you know, if you're good, you know, it's the best degree I've got. Uh, yeah. But at the same time, being that person that likes being a little bit different, I kind of don't want to follow that trend just yet. Uh, but it's nice to know that it is an option that I've got. If I am struggling to go into coaching, that is something I can do um, career wise, I guess to kind of kickstart me off. Um, but I have a funny feeling I might be brutal as a coach. I don't think I'll be very forgiving, <laughs> which I don't think would be a good thing because <laughs> I'd be one of those ones that'd be like, well, in my day, I was doing this four rounds. You're only doing it twice. What are you moaning about? Who needs rest and recovery? Come on, let's go. So <laughs> I don't know whether I'd be very sympathetic or not. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least you'd be able to back it up though. Like when you're saying back in my day, at least people can go back and watch YouTube and go, yeah, actually look, she, she did that. Whereas a lot of coaches like me are saying, oh, back in my day and they can't really find me on youtube i can assure you my my swimming career was nowhere near uh what you've achieved so uh, i think you have some brownie points some credit points there when you do say those things <laughs> now i like to finish our chats uh with some less serious questions but i i think they still give us a little bit of an insight um into you know who you are away from the pool as well so it's just rapid fire basically i you know ask the question you chuck out the first thing that comes to your mind so, uh, first one is favorite music. Uh, does that have to be band, song, uh, or it can be, uh, yeah, Whatever you want. Okay. This is well, your show moment, today. <laughs> at the moment, it's a band called Elephant Sessions. Mm -hmm. All right, everyone write that down. Uh, are they <laughs> Scottish, English? Where are they from? I think they're Canadian, but the music is very kind of Scottish. It's quite Celtic. Okay. Um, favorite song from them is one called Colors. Okay. Um, yeah, have a little listen and let me know what you think. I will, I will. I definitely will. What about, um, you like to watch the movies, as you said. What about your favourite movie? Or do, can you narrow it down to one? Do you have a few? <laughs> I do I'll have allow a few. A, yeah, I'll allow a few. So I guess the most recent one would be 1917. That mm -hmm. was a phenomenal film. Um, another one that I really enjoy is uh, kind of Notting Hill and Four Weddings and a Funeral, uh, just because it's lighthearted. Mm -hmm. um, and then pretty much anything Disney-based. <laughs> uh, I'm watching so much Disney at the moment because I have a one-and-a-half-year-old daughter and, oh. uh, and she loves Moana. She loves yeah. all of these things. So now, unfortunately, I know all the words to the songs. Uh, you know, and, and even she's turning off now. She's getting over some of these movies. She'll walk away. I still find myself sitting there watching yeah. the stupid movie, even though she's gone away and singing the songs. Luckily, oh. nobody can see me because it's quite embarrassing. Um, <laughs> but obviously, uh, you know, uh, swimmers, we enjoy our feeds and, and, you know, we need that fuel and that energy. What are some of your favorite meals? Homemade lasagna. 
can't be a good homemade lasagna uh, and steak and chips. Steak and, and chips. I guess on a rare occasion, we've got this, uh, <laughs> don't have it very often, but we've got this fish and chip shop uh, that's about maybe like 20, 30 minutes away from us uh, called The Bay. And it's like got, I guess, Britain's best, it's known as, I think, well, definitely Scotland's best fish and chip shop. Um, and that sometimes is great. You feel amazing when you're eating it, and then afterwards you feel horrific. And yeah, not as good. <laughs> <laughs> but every now and then, if you're able to have a good fish and chips, that's quite nice as well. <laughs> what about uh, favorite TV show to binge watch? Ooh, uh, God, I've, I've actually binge watched quite a few. New Amsterdam was really good. Um, Scrubs, Friends, Big Bang Theory, they're kind of like easy watches. Family yeah. Guy, Simpsons, um, they're kind of like my go-to if I feel like there's nothing else on. Um, there's also a TV series called SAS Who Dares Wins. Okay. Um, I love that. That's really, really good. Uh, so basically you get mixed groups. You get one that's a celebrity-based one, one that's not, not a celebrity-based one. And basically they just put a group of people through SAS training and it's brutal, but just like mm. the mindset of each of the individuals and the tasks at hand are very, very cool. Mm. Uh, would so be very interesting to see how different people react to different situations. Yeah. Uh, what yeah. about, and you would have heard a few uh, in your time. What about a favorite quote? Ooh, uh, well, if you do what you've always done, you'll get what you've always got. Yeah, that's one of uh, my so favorites. Different. Um, smile, it confuses people. That's mm -hmm. another one. And Which actually really makes me think about this interview, by the way, because you've smiled a lot through this interview. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> I'm everyone right now. <laughs> um, what other quotes? Uh, yeah, you, you normally hear them and you think, oh, that's really good. Yeah. And it's like, can't think of it. <laughs> no, you're right. Yeah. yeah so the, the, the um, a few of the ones that I like are. Um, uh, how you do anything is how you do everything. So, Ooh. you know, if you get in terms of training and you maybe have an off day and somebody says to you, when your coach says to you, what's going on? You go, Oh, don't worry. It's just for today. But you know, things set to, tend to become a bit of a habit. And that yeah. that's why, you know, I say to the swimmers, no, no, it's not an off day. We've got to make sure we're doing the, the right thing all the time. Or um, um, the harder you work, the luckier you get. That's a good one too. That is also a really good one. There's a couple that have actually just popped into my head, but it's my, my granddad, my dad's mom and dad are Irish and uh, my granddad's no longer with us, but uh, he used to have some really funny quotes, but they weren't like inspirational ones. They were just <laughs> Irish ones. So if you knock something off the table and you go for it, it goes, like, oh, no, can't fall any further. Um, <laughs> so you phone him and you pick up the phone and before you say anything, it's like, ah, is it yourself? <laughs> so it's I really like funny that. <laughs> yeah, no, I like that one about it can't fall any further because it's true. Yeah. It's, where's it? it's not going anywhere. Relax. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Now I'm going to do something completely different with you today in honor of, of you coming on the show all the way from across the other side of the world. And given that you have been to Australia um, and you enjoy it here, I, I thought I would test your knowledge on us Aussies and in particular our slang terminology for certain things. So what I'm going to do is I'll give you a sentence and then I want you to tell me basically what I've just said right. for everyone else there to hear. So um, if I was cracking open a cold one, what would I be doing? Having a beer or having a cold drink? Yeah, no, the beer, the beer's the right one. That's perfect. Yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, if I was having brekkie right now, what would I be doing? Eating breakfast. Perfect. Uh, if I was Devo. 
Oh, upset or devastated. Devastated, easy. What if I was chucking a sickie? Oh, uh, got you there. Feeling unwell? Sort of. It's it's basically having a day off work, but you're not really sick. You're chucking a sickie. sickie. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) And and in the in those lines of chucking, what about if I was chucking a Yui? Oh, uh, doing a U-turn. Look at you go. Perfect. Yes. <laughs> yes. And, and so often around here in Australia, you can't really do it unless it says you're allowed to do it. So that's yeah. why, you know, sometimes we just, just a sneak. We're the same, but people just do it anyway. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and if I was going to Macca's, where would I be going? Mackey D's. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Mate, look at you go. You've killed it. The only one you'd sort of, you didn't even struggle really. Got it in the end was chucking a sickie. So there you go. Honorary Aussie, mate. Now, um, when you do hang out the goggles, um, you know, what do you think your legacy will be on the world of swimming? And in particular, you know, Scotland and, and Great Britain. What in particular would you like people to remember about you uh, as a swimmer and as an athlete? Um, I guess I'd like them to think that I was resilient, that, um, that I was somebody different who wasn't afraid to stand out from the crowd and actually go for something regardless of my size, my weight, my power. Um, and that I was not afraid to kind of go up and try something, even if it meant I fail. Um, and yeah, and I guess the fact that she's finally decided to retire. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think yeah. anybody will say that. No, that was only a joke. Um, <laughs> just, just, yeah. I, I guess I just want to be remembered for somebody who was more than just a hardworking athlete. Somebody who, you know, experienced the ups and the downs, was resilient and faced things. You know, even the, I'm still human. I face things with fear and I face things without fear. Um, but I just wasn't afraid to put myself in that vulnerable position and just go for it. Well, Hannah, I think we'll wrap it up there. I think that was a perfect way to uh, to finish up today. And I want to thank you very much for coming on and, and having a chat. Um, you absolutely did not have to. You could have even left me on red on, on Instagram. <laughs> you didn't even have to get back to me, but you did. You're a pro about it. And I, I genuinely do appreciate it. Thank you very much. Now, good luck over the next 12 months, um, getting thank back you. in the pool and getting stuck back into some solid work at some stage. Yeah. And um, not just watching your dog do it. Hopefully you can, you can get back in and do it, do some as well. Um, and ultimately, you know, go on to compete at your fourth Olympic games, which is just an amazing achievement. mate. And it's a true Testament to, to your character and how tough I think and gutsy you are. And hopefully mate, hopefully we can stay in touch and, and maybe you can come on for another chat somewhere down the track. But until yeah. then, thank you very much for coming on off the block swimming podcast. Thanks for having me. Today's episode of Off the Block Swimming Podcast is proudly sponsored, as always, by Pro Swim Workouts. A huge thank you once again to Hannah Miley for coming on the show this week. She's truly one of the nice people of our sport and such a great representation to our younger swimmers of consistency, hard work, dedication, and always staying motivated. Such a great story and hopefully for her, one more incredible chapter to come next year for the British and Scottish legend. Next week will be our season finale for season two and we are finishing up with one of the biggest weeks ever on the podcast. Next Friday, the 10th of July, you will hear two fantastic interviews, one with departing Australian head coach Jaco Verheren and the other with Australian swimming superstar and someone who is one half of the most powerful duo in world swimming. I'm talking about Bronte Campbell. 
Blockbuster week coming your way next week. Do not miss a minute of the action. Until then, though, guys, have a great weekend. Kids, enjoy the start of your school holidays. Parents, head to the pod low. And it's bye for now. I just want to be-